Battleline Podcast, Ian Scotto here, at Ian Scotto on Twitter. Not really doing Instagram at the moment, so that's where you could find me. Of course, you could find the show, though, on Instagram, at Battleline Podcast, and on Twitter, at Battleline Pod. If you're new to the show, each week, myself and Chris Peranto usually interview members of the special operations military community, but we go beyond that community, and we interview other people that we know. Uh, in this case, we have Tom and Deneen Borelli coming on who are not from that community, but you may know Deneen from Fox News or from her book, Blacklash. You may know Tom from Newsmax, and I've known them for a while. We've actually been meaning to have them on, so we're doing it. So every now and again, we have uh, we have guests like that, but uh, our focus is always special operations, military, and military news and that type of thing, and, and we're going to get into some of that, but before we do... One of the most important steps you can take in bolstering your immune system is getting quality sleep and giving your body what it needs to heal and recover. The Ned Sleep Blend and Mellow Magnesium have helped me do this. It's important to have the right supplements in your sleep regimen. Of course, along with getting good exercise, having good nutrition, all of that is important and it is all part of that amalgam of how you're going to get good sleep. Now, Ned's new dream set includes their best-selling sleep blend and mellow magnesium, two products specifically designed to optimize your body for sleep and relaxation. It's the ultimate combo to revolutionize your sleep. Ned's new and improved sleep blend contains CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep with 750 milligrams of USDA-certified organic CBD. Yes, organic from the purest single-source hemp flower extract and 24% more organic and wild-crafted botanicals than the previous formulation. Now, their Mellow Magnesium Supplement is a powerful daily magnesium supplement with amino acids and trace minerals that propel memory, mood, brain function, stress response, nerve and muscle health, and of course, sleep. All of Ned's products are USDA certified organic and grown right here in the USA in Paonia, Colorado. They're science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. They're chock-full of premium CBD and a full spectrum of active cannabinoids. They have full transparency, Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products and their extraction process all right there on their site. Their CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. And we're going to have Rhett and Adrian, the guys from Ned, coming on in just a few weeks, so we're looking forward to that. If you'd like to conquer sleep with Ned's dream set, Battleline listeners get 15% off with the code BATTLELINE. Go to helloned.com slash battleline or just enter Battleline at checkout. Uh, you'll see that link right there in the description, but it's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Battleline to get 15% off. If you're driving around, I know you can't do it now, but uh, maybe pull over because you want to get in on this. H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Battleline to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned for sponsoring the show for all these years now and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. 
Also, this past show, you heard us talk a little bit more in depth about BioPro. Check it out if you're 35 or older and you currently feel like you're lacking that primal motivation, drive, and energy you used to and you want more out of life and to improve your performance in the gym and the bedroom, here's the deal. Every year after puberty, your growth hormone decreases, sometimes by 50% by the age of 35, and it only keeps going down from there. It doesn't matter how in shape you are or how good your diet is, it's happening to all of us. That's where BioPro Plus comes in. BioPro Plus is the first of its kind, 100% non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH growth hormone treatments. It immediately replaces what your body is no longer getting, and it does it naturally, without the needles, without the nasty side effects or expensive cost of the typical synthetic growth hormone treatment. So if you want to fix your performance in the gym, bedroom, and chronic fatigue and pain, or even just how you look in the mirror, you need to go to bioproteintech.com. You guys have heard all the issues people have when they are using growth hormone or, you know, Using any of that stuff that you really shouldn't be, especially without a doctor in some circumstances. So this is a great alternative to that where you're not going to experience those side effects, but you will get the benefits. Battleline podcast listeners receive $30 off by using the promo code BATTLELINE at checkout while supplies last. That's bioproteintech.com. You're going to get $30 off when you use the promo code BATTLELINE at checkout bioproteintech.com check it out guys $30 off when you use the promo code battleline at checkout From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dead for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on. Battleline Podcast, as you can tell by now, Chris Peranto is not here with me, but don't go anywhere. We have a great interview lined up with Tom and Deneen Borelli. Why is Chris not here? He's actually in Hawaii doing a speaking engagement, um, as he often does. He's all over the place, but Hawaii, that's that's definitely a big one. I have never been there. We'll have to hear next week how Hawaii was. Um, I know they're pretty uh, strict on things right now in terms of getting into that place, but it looks absolutely beautiful. It's definitely always been on my bucket list of somewhere to go as someone who loves beaches and all that type of stuff. Um, 
So check it out. You've heard us talk about this. Next week is going to be the first week that we're doing video for the show. We're really excited for this. Hopefully it all goes well. Um, but we really need you guys to support us in order for this to be successful. So check out the YouTube channel of Battleline Podcast and subscribe there now. Uh, and that way you're going to be able to check out this video and you'll see it right in your feed if you subscribe. So Battleline Podcast on YouTube. And that next episode is going to be a Q&A. So we're going to need your questions. Send them over now. Uh, BattleLinePodcast at gmail.com. And I even have some books lying around from authors who have been on, some extra copies. Uh, some people have been pitched to us that are definitely in our realm. So I could definitely do a giveaway. Not every question, but if you're one of the best questions, I'll be able to do a giveaway. So if you want to get in on that, email any question you've ever had for Chris or even myself to battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. We love answering those questions, and that'll be up uh, a week from today, if you're hearing this on Monday. So do it now, Podcast at gmail.com. Now, getting into some uh, some news stories here that have been kind of underreported. This one's really crazy. This is from NBC. Uh, three sailors who served on USS George Washington die within a week, Navy investigating. A sailor was found unresponsive on board the aircraft carrier Friday, meaning last Friday, following the cases of two sailors found deceased on April 9th and April 10th in separate incidents. Uh, this is from Chantal De Silva and Moshe Gaines. Three sailors who served on the same aircraft carrier in Virginia have turned up dead within a week, military officials said on Tuesday. A sailor was found unresponsive on board the USS George Washington this past Friday as the carrier is being overhauled at the Newport News shipbuilding, Navy Lieutenant Commander Robert Myers said in a statement to NBC News. That unidentified sailor was taken to Riverside Regional Medical Center in Newport News, where the service member was pronounced dead. That follows the case of two sailors who were found deceased on April 9th and 10th in separate incidents, Myers said. There are no immediate signs that these three deaths are connected to each other, officials said. And then we have a quote here from John Kirby, Pentagon press secretary, who said to reporters, I don't believe that they, meaning Navy investigators, are aware of any indications that they are related. Uh, that's what they believe right now, and I think we need to give them time to properly investigate these deaths. The Navy identified the sailor who died on April 9th off base in Portsmouth as retail services specialist, third class, Mikkel Sharp. Interior communications electrician, third class, Natasha Huffman, was found dead also off base in Hampton on April 10th, authorities said. The Navy is cooperating with NCIS, Naval Criminal Investigative Service, and local authorities where these incidents have occurred to determine the facts, according to a Navy statement. We'll see more on that. Uh, you know, we'll keep you posted if there's an update, but it is strange to see these three apparent suicides all within a very short time span, all within the same place, the USS George Washington. Now, this I came across actually while watching TMZ, not exactly the place that you find military news, but believe it or not, this is related to the military, and it is a little troubling. Um, U.S. government spends big money on Peloton equipment. Uncle Sam seems to be all in on Peloton. We've learned the feds have spent big on equipment, making you wonder if Joe Biden's love of the exercise bike might be at play. 
However, according to federal uh, procurement documents obtained by TMZ, the government has spent upwards of $220,000 on Peloton bikes and other exercise equipment dating back to the summer of 2020. So that was before Biden took office, so you can't really blame him for this one. In July the of uh, July of 2020, the Air Force placed a large order for Peloton bicycles and fitness equipment in the amount of $33,366. Unclear how many bikes were delivered specifically, but considering that the bikes are more than $1,000 a pop, you got to figure it was a bunch of them. Later in September, the Agricultural Research Service placed a Peloton bike order for another $26,000 worth of bikes. Then 2021 rolled around when Biden took office, and it seems like the feds went Peloton crazy. So, yeah, at this point, you, you can put Biden and the current administration at blame because then that, they then ordered north of $96,000 worth of Peloton-related fitness equipment, but including a bunch of stuff from Precore Inc., a big name in treadmills and exercise equipment that was acquired by Peloton back in December of 2020. A rep for the Air Force tells us they have fitness centers on all of their bases that include Pelotons and other workout equipment. They said the centers are critical to the readiness of our airmen. In the docks, the FBI said the Peloton equipment was for training aids. Among the agencies who are trying to get their sweat on, the Air Force again, the Army, and the FBI. 2022 was quite friendly to Peloton as well as as well from within DC. It looks like the government spent upwards of $64,000 on more pre-core stuff this time between the army and immigration. It's no secret that JB is a fan of Peloton. He's copped to working out on one regularly, but it became a flashpoint early in the administration as there were cybersecurity concerns from the built-in mics and cams. Officials had suggested he leave it in Delaware post November of 2020. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, I needed to take a sip of something after reading all that. But yeah, we often talk about bloated military spending and where is this money going? And you always hope that the money is going towards stuff that's needed, like you know, wrapped Humvees and that type of thing to keep troops safe. And of course, it, it goes without saying, troops need to exercise. Troops need to be physically ready. But Peloton is like the most expensive designer bike out there. And as you could hear from this article, it really adds up when you do the multiplication of how many of these bikes that you're actually buying. And is it really necessary? I mean, troops have been using probably all types of stationary bikes for years and didn't need to use Pelotons. And I know that when you look at the numbers, this doesn't really make a dent in the budget. But all this stuff adds up and you just have to ask yourself, is it absolutely necessary that troops are using Peloton bikes or is this just, hey, we have the money, so let's spend it on the most expensive workout equipment um, available? Maybe some of you guys who are listening are serving in the Air Force and have uh, something to say about it. So if you do, as always, uh, battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. With that, though, guys, I know you want to get into this interview that I did with Tom and Deneen Borelli. Uh, once again, a lot of you guys may know them, of course, Tom from Newsmax, also a Ph.D. molecular biologist, and Deneen Borelli, who you've probably seen on Fox News, Hannity, uh, author of Blacklash, and uh, it was great having them on. So before we get into it, 
Fort Scott Munitions, guys. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. Just go to fortscottmunitions.com, click on the dealer locator on the website, and you're going to find a dealer right by you. Use our exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Any merchandise, any of that, they have some great merchandise coming up for their uh, for their grand opening happening in Fort Scott, Kansas, which I'm very excited to go to. And that's only available to listeners of this podcast. So fortscottmunitions.com, use the promo code BATTLELINE. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE Podcast. While we're talking ammo, we got to talk night vision. I've been getting messages actually from members of Border Patrol who are looking at what night vision to get. And of course, we recommend them nothing other than Photonist Defense. Photonist Defense is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and outdoor enthusiasts rely on Photonist Defense systems to make their adventures safer and more successful. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Photonist Defense is now offering state-of-the-art night vision systems from the PD-Pro B16mm binocular and the PD-Pro-M 16mm monocular to the PD-Pro-Q panoramic night vision system. Customers from all over are excited about these new, smaller, lighter NVGs. You've got to see these things to really experience how much smaller and lighter they are than anything you've used previously. Visit PhotonistDefense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. Photonist Defense is actually staying on board with us for very long, which is great to see. We're happy to keep them as a sponsor. We love what they do, and we'll definitely have Phil Otto back again at some point because we love having him on and really lend some credibility to the Photonist name, knowing that they have CIA contractors, really former CIA contractors, but Navy SEALs and so many other guys in the community on board who are saying, wow, this is what I wish I had when I was serving and when we were downrange. So check them out, guys. PhotonistDefense.com, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, Defense.com. So joining us for the first time on Battleline Podcast are longtime friends of mine, Tom and Deneen Borelli. You likely know Tom Borelli from Newsmax, also a Ph.D. molecular biologist. I'm sure many of you have seen Deneen Borelli on Fox News. Also the author of Blacklash, I remember when Blacklash came out, massively successful. And for the audience, really, they may be wondering what's the connection with Battleline Podcast. And 
for me, I would say is that for people who are, you know, call themselves members of the Tonto tribe, you, you guys really go a long time back with Chris Peranto. I remember seeing you at the, um, at the release party for his second book after 13 hours, uh, the Ranger way. And, uh, and yeah, actually you guys have known, uh, Chris Peranto probably about as long as I have through Andrew Wilkow, of course. Yeah, we probably have. And uh, thanks for having us on your show. Ian, it's great to be with you. Yeah, we go way back, I think. Uh, I feel old, actually, because it's been <laughs> quite a few years <laughs> since we've met and we've been working together on different projects. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's it, it's true. And, and um, you know, what I was going to ask you about is, is what really interested you guys in the Benghazi story? Because the thing for me, I would say, is that what you guys do is very much outside the realm of, of what we do here at Battleline Podcast. It is more political. But to me, the the story of the attack on Benghazi was not political at all. It was it was made political. It was made into a political story and a partisan story when it should have been something I feel like the whole country could have gotten behind. Well, yeah, Ian, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is what happens. Look, what's not politicized these days? And, you know, obviously that was years ago and that was immediately politicized. Why? Because you had a key figure, you know, Hillary Clinton in the State Department. She's a polarizing figure. She had presidential aspirations. And it really pointed, at least from my perspective, you know, the lack of security and the lack of detail that's important when you have people way, way out in the field. No, that's true. I totally agree with Tom. And it comes down to her covering her you-know-what because she was the one uh, essentially in charge there. And it's un- it's really unfortunate to see how it played out on the world stage, uh, the, the, the members that we lost, the individuals that we lost, but also how it was all turned around. Uh, what did she say? A, a, a walk? At night, some people decide to go for a walk at night or something like that. Like I'm just paraphrasing, but a total disregard of loss of life of the individuals sure. uh, that were killed that night. Yeah, and also Americans. When it, when it becomes politicized, you can't identify the problems of what went wrong, so then you don't repeat the same mistake again. And this is what you know, a, a, you know, really frustrating for me. Even when you look at the, like the origins of, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, it's a fight. Was it in a lab? Was it uh, uh, was it natural? Back and forth. Meanwhile, back in, on planet Earth, there's a lot of virologists who are doing a lot of experiments that could be potentially very dangerous. So no one's looking at the root cause of okay, if it was a lab leak, which personally I happen to think so. Uh, the weighted evidence points to that direction, not absolute proof, but weight of evidence points to that direction, then what are we doing to secure the labs that are working on dangerous viruses? Nothing. It becomes, when it politicized, you don't get to the root cause of the problem so that you can make sure it doesn't repeat history again. And I don't see any, any improvement almost in any area. Yeah, and maybe we'll get into that a little with you. I, I feel like we've kind of avoided that topic a lot because, I mean, I, to be honest, like neither Chris or I right. are scientists. You actually are a molecular biologist, so it would kind of be interesting to get your take because I do consider you ex- an expert in the field and, and actually like a differing opinion from what we were told from like top scientists from pretty much the very beginning. But getting back to the Benghazi stuff, 
I don't know if you guys realize this. Like my connection with the story is really crazy. And it's 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 interesting because of like all things going back to our friend Andrew Welkow. So <laughs> you you guys may know this or you might not, but I just think I think it's interesting. I think the audience knows that I've I've brought it up before, but basically, um, after the death of bin Laden, the killing of bin <laughs> the capturing and killing of bin Laden by the Navy SEALs was around the time Sofrep started when I met Brandon Webb. And, uh, and, you know, interest in the special operations community was at an all time high interest in army rangers, interest in Navy SEALs. And because of that, like the website really took off and I ended up doing the podcast. Now, when, um, Brandon first got started going on Andrew's show, he was good friends with Glenn Doherty. And I think it was because the killing of bin Laden was 2011. So I believe it was the summer of 2012 where Glenn Doherty came into the studio at Sirius XM and was just hanging out in the control room with us, you know, with me and Mike Bins. Um, we had no idea who Glenn Doherty was, other than that he was a Navy SEAL. And pretty much a few months later, as we all know, September 11th of 2012, we lost Glenn Doherty. And then pretty uh, shortly after that, a year or two after that, is when the 13 Hours book came out. And once again, back at SiriusXM, I met Chris Peranto. And then this all came about. So it's kind of interesting how that all correlated. No, it really is. And it was uh, really an honor and privilege to meet these military men when we would come to uh, the bar, O'Looney's, and yeah. hang out. Especially, yeah, it was a uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On uh, those patriotic days that we would uh, honor and celebrate our men and women in uniform. Uh, it was great to just go and hang out and meet them and shake their hands and listen to the 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 money that would come in for donations to support the different efforts that they were involved in. So that was a great experience thinking about that and going back a number of years ago with that. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, is how I said Benghazi became so politicized is that like when Gwen Doherty came in or a lot of these guys came in, politics was really not mentioned. So I, it, it's still mind boggling to me how these stories became political and how people don't even want to look into like the true story of what went down and why there was such incompetence there. And that's why like, we try to cover that stuff on this podcast and honestly, not really do it in a political way, just covering the facts and having guys on um, like recently having Chris Dutch Moyer on who was a member of uh, the unit as they call it. Cause I know they don't like to say uh, Delta force, but uh yeah, and and they'll say straight up, we had guys in the area who could have saved, you know, these guys in Benghazi, and they were just told to stand down. Yeah, again, the biggest problem is not learning from mistakes. That's a, a general life lesson, right? It's a it's a general life lesson. We all make mistakes, but the important thing is to learn from them, and that's just in our personal lives. But when you're a part of the government, part of the Defense Department, part of the State Department, they have people all over the world. And if something really bad happens, you need to learn so it doesn't happen again. You know, history is, is always seems to repeating itself. And these days, with all the information we have, it really shouldn't be. I mean, look, look what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. This looks like World War II again. I see trenches. It looks like World War One again. When I'm on the treadmill, I watch the, the like the Smithsonian Channel's uh, uh, history uh, with respect to World War One and World War Two, and then I turn on the TV. I see the same thing. So it, it becomes very, very frustrating for us, Danine and I, because we, our realm is really in the facts. 
at the end, we may you know point fingers politically for people who make mistakes, but it's it's driven by data. That's what again. I'm a trained scientist. Data drives my opinion. I don't have my opinion first and then retroactively figure out what the data should be. And that that's way too. Again, that goes back to the politics of the situation. People are so engrossed in the emotion of whatever it is. If it's Hillary Clinton, some people have to get her and some people have to defend her. And in that food fight, you don't get the facts so that you can learn and move forward. Well, the other thing is in terms of learning from mistakes. I mean, look at the horrible withdrawal from Afghanistan and how that was totally bungled and and the, the numerous loss of lives that could have been prevented uh, given a date certain, announcing that they were <laughs> going to do it, and then um, allowing the uh, the nearest airport to be taken over and the the consulate building, all the things that just went wrong with that from day one. Uh, and then today, fast forward, we're seeing folks there that are Americans. Hello, we still don't know how many Americans are still there, are still trapped behind enemy lines. We never really got uh, a true figure on that. Uh, so talk about being responsible and, and giving the truth to Americans and to the world. We, there's a lot of open holes with that as well still. Did you guys see there was a clip, because it's funny that you're mentioning this, there was a clip that that guy Patrick Bet David posted, and I know Patrick has interviewed uh, Jack before, uh, Jack Murphy's interviewed Chris Peranto before, a very smart guy who was on Rogan a few months ago, but he posted a old clip of Biden talking about why you can't make a hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan, and he said, if we leave equipment behind, that equipment is going to be used on us, so it was all the stuff that was actually done, and it's, it, did you guys see that clip? It's it's kind of interesting looking back on it because it's probably from a good eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago. No, I, I didn't see it. But yeah, leaving the millions of dollars in equipment behind to be used against us. Yeah, that is a no brainer in terms of what not to do. But the interesting thing is it's Biden himself saying it. I, right. I got to sure. send it to you guys because it's it's a really wild clip because it's him basically urging against exactly what he did years later. It's It's interesting to watch. And again, Ian, you know, that raises another point, and that, that becomes the, really an issue of the media. When the media wasn't really demanding the facts with respect to Benghazi, when the media wasn't demanding the facts about Afghanistan, everything gets swept under the rugs. The clip you mentioned should be headline news with respect to uh, what happened in Afghanistan and, and who's responsible and why this position years ago and why this position now. Those should be the probing questions from the media. But again, the problem with the media is they're an advocacy organization, the vast majority of them. And that ends up influencing public opinion and that ends up influencing votes. And again, a lot of people don't pay attention uh, to the news like we do because we have to. <laughs> yeah. No, people just I, don't, go back. I don't. I'll openly say I don't. <laughs> Neither good, does Craig. Good for you. <laughs> but <laughs> we have to. And then yeah. if you're not, you can get sucked into the wrong headline. And it depends what self-serve media you want. If you want. The truth is, though, I, I, I do feel like a lot of these media outlets are like going by the wayside, though, because if you just look at the statistics of what people are watching and, and how many people are watching, Truthfully, way more people are listening to people that we know like Dan Bongino or Ben Shapiro and their podcasts and their platforms than CNN. We're looking at like how abysmal CNN Plus is doing. 
Um, I think like podcasts and all that are changing the game. As we know, like the biggest media outlet bigger than anything on TV is Joe Rogan, which is a podcast. Joe Rogan's audience is like, I mean, the stats are all out there. It's it's multiply by 10 what people are watching on CNN or even Fox News. Well, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I was just wondering how what's a demographic read on that? I guess my bias coming in on something like that is people are self-serving the media in terms of you, you pick what you like and that reinforces your opinion. And there are those people who, you know, just tune into MSNBC and CNN that only reinforces their opinion. And I think that is a large part of, of our political divide is people have the ability, not wrong with it, to self-serve with uh, what you want to hear as opposed to what the truth is. And I think that is part of the problem. Nothing we could do about it other than provide more content like you're doing uh, on this podcast, like we're doing with uh, our podcast, delivering what we call the truth in black and white and hope people tune in. Uh, that's the only thing we can do. You don't want to ever silent speech, even if it's bad speech. You just want to apply more speech. And I guess that's what Rogan's doing. Yeah. And, and I think there's a huge lack of trust with the major media outlets. And that is something that former President Trump basically ripped the, the, the Band-Aid, the mask off, so to speak, uh, how he would call the media fake news. And uh, there's plenty of evidence and, and news stories and fake news stories out there to uh, point in that direction in terms of how the media did a disservice to our country, especially when Trump was president. I mean, everything he said and did, the media flipped it on its head and turned it against him. And then they used all kinds of rhetoric like racism, race card, and whatever other isms that they wanted to add on to it to, you know, smear him and try to discredit him. But I think a lot of Americans saw past that. They saw through it. And we're seeing how they basically bubble wrapped Biden when he was candidate Biden. The media uh, allowed him to campaign from his basement. So uh, a lot of voters didn't know what a horrible leader he would be because <laughs> we saw the Easter Bunny guiding him through the uh, the the earlier this week with the Easter parade or Easter egg roll or whatever it was, blocking him from answering certain questions. Uh, he's held, what, a handful of press conferences. When he does do a press briefing, he has a list of people to call on. He is protected. He is bubble wrapped. They don't want him to be uh, faced with hard, serious questions because he can't handle them. He can't handle him. He doesn't know what he's saying from one moment to the next. And when he goes off script, forget it. Forget it. Yeah. To push back on that, though, Trump put out plenty of fake news himself. Trump Trump retweeted a story that the SEALs never killed bin Laden. It was pure conspiracy theory. It was there was no facts whatsoever. And I mean, on the show, Chris and I do our best to push back on anything that's that's inaccurate news. It doesn't matter who the leader is. And I mean, we're not really a political show at the same time when you put out stories like that, that is major misinformation. So I think there's plenty of blame to go around. Um, getting into something else, though, I wanted to ask you guys, what what is like your connection with the military? Because I know it's an important subject for you. It's an important area for you guys. And, and I know you guys support the military and also know a lot of people who have served. We know a lot of the same people. Yeah, so my my connections actually was through my father, who passed away, I guess, 30 years now uh, this year. Amazing. Uh, he was a wow. World War II veteran. 
and uh, typical World War II veteran, never spoke about it, rarely spoke about it, took me to you know, a couple of war movies. Uh, Memorial Day parades were, was a very serious issue for him. Looking back, uh, my father certainly had PTSD. There were times he was just would be withdrawn. I didn't call it that at, at the time. You know, worked two jobs, whatever. He just kind of fought through it. But, you know, after he passed away, I, uh, I, and after my mother passed away, I ended up, you know, discovering uh, a lot of his military record. And it was, my father was a very, very meticulous guy. So he had typed out his entire uh, World War II tour, so to speak. So he landed in um, Omaha Beach about three weeks after D-Day and then went through uh, Western France and then swept right through Holland, Belgium, into Germany. And, you know, I just have this whole map uh, and it's, it's just, just very educational and Probably the best thing Denise and I ever did in terms of vacations once, we went to the Normandy beaches. It is, if anyone listening, if you have the resources, it is just phenomenal because there's no way any movie could capture the uh, breadth and scope of, you know, I, it's about 60 miles, I think, the, the total length of the invasion beaches. And, and to go to Point du Hoc and look over that cliff and to see these huge craters that are still there. And then in France, each uh, little area has a different museum. So they have a ranger's museum. They have a paratrooper's museum. And it, it is just a phenomenal way to reconnect to history. And, uh, you know, that's, that's certainly a trip I'll, I'll never forget. But, you know, that's my connection. That's why, you know, the focus of war, I always try to, again, when I'm on the treadmill, I'm watching usually the World War II uh, documentaries. And, you know, every time I watch, I learn something. Right now I'm watching the uh, Pacific in Color. It's on the Smithsonian. It's a fantastic uh, series. And I, I, never, I didn't realize it at the time, you know, science major. So what do I know about history? <laughs> I avoided that stuff, but now I'm not. Uh, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt, well, like flew to the uh, Pacific Islands after we took a few. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, and you, you see her get actually this uh, Pacific uh, Smithsonian uh, Pacific in color, I think it's called uh, uh, Pacific in color. And they show her like getting off one of these planes and, you know, talking to the troops. Uh, it is it, just phenomenal to see. And the, the videos were what the G guys did at the time. This was their home movies that they had. And you can actually watch some of this and it, it really brings it to life. But yeah, a long way going. Yeah, my connection was through my father. And then I also had an uncle who was with the Seabees who, you know, passed away, you know, maybe 20 years ago, Denise, 15. Yeah. Uh -huh. And we, we, again, we had, a, unfortunately, my aunt passed away last year. So we had to clean out his house and then voila, what you discover, it was just phenomenal. He was, and it sounds like stuff they never spoke about, as you were oh, saying. No, no, he spoke a little bit more. Okay. And I, I remember, you know, he, he said something, oh, you went to Normandy. He goes, yeah, you see all those, those, you know, crosses and uh, the Star of David. He goes, no, that wasn't like that. It was bulldozer time with respect to the reality of what, what you do with, you know, that number of bodies. He was in the Seabees. Wow. And he covered both. So he, we have pictures from him from 
uh, Normandy, and he actually has you know pictures of people who were captured. And then you also fast forward; he was also in the Pacific, so he covered both. You see him climbing a, a you know a coconut tree one spot, and the other spot you see him in uh, in, in a spot in Normandy. So again, a lot of these these pictures uh, bring bring things to life like they always do. So that, you know, again, that's, you know, I'm kind of an older guy now, but that's my connection is, is through my uncle, you know, through my father and, you know, and the legacy that they left behind, but rarely talked about. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. What about you, Dean? None of connections. I, I totally agree with Tom. Uh, I had an uncle who served in World War II. I don't know all of the details about it. Uh, but uh, to Tom's point, making the trip to Normandy was an eye-opening experience. We actually saw at the time some veterans that were there with their families from the States and uh, going through history and just listening to them talk. And uh, it was really uh, heartwarming and uh, very enlightening to see uh, then versus now what happened and uh, what it looks like today. It's interesting that both of you note that your relatives who were in World War II don't really speak about it. And then you were talking about like Vietnam guys, they're going to speak about it more. And then today we have, you know, it's become like a running joke, the amount of Navy SEALs who write books. And we have all these special operations right. guys, who, many of them out in the public eye, many of them writing books, many of them doing podcasts. What do you think of that? Do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing that more and more of guys are out there telling their story? Because some people do feel oh, it gets away from the silent professional, the quiet professional. Um, but other people are saying, hey, it's important to get these stories out there on podcasts and books and, and that type of thing. I think it's important to get it out there. I mean, I remember my uncles saying that they never talked to my uncle who served. Uh, he never talked about it. They just said he didn't want to discuss it. And then I actually asked him one day a couple of questions and he opened up a little bit, but not a lot. So I don't know if if he was ever really approached about it, uh, but he did mention a few things to me. And, and each person, of course, is different. Everyone had different experiences during the war. Uh, but for today, our, our military men and women who are serving, my connection is with them. I appreciate their service, what they do to protect and serve. And I do think it would be uh, inspirational for them to do a book or a podcast or public speaking, whatever it is, that they can relay what their experiences have been and why they served and uh, perhaps spur others, inspire others to do so as well, especially our future generation. I think it's a, a generational thing. I mean, you know, the greatest generation was really a quiet generation and they got drafted. Sure. It, it wasn't by it wasn't by choice. Because I, right. I see I have my father's draft, you know, card or papers, whatever they are. Uh, you, you can follow through the whole, you know, the whole scenario. Um, and then they came back and it was just it was just the way it does it was done. Of course, now there's so much more media availability than there was back then. I'm old enough to remember where there was a you know black and white TV and four TV channels, and it was command and control. You watched you know four TV uh, networks, and that was it. But I, I yeah. think over, I think overall it's a great thing that those who have, especially those who have volunteered, have done amazingly brave things for our country. One is the war part, which is very significant, but also the mental discipline and what they can relay to youth today who are struggling. 
uh, with respect to dealing with, you know, just the, the pressures of everyday life. Because from what I know of, of what I've heard from Navy SEALs, it's, it's not the biggest and the strongest guys who, who make it. It's those who are mentally tough. Yeah. And how do you relay that mental toughness uh, to apply to general life? And I think that's a huge value uh, that these veterans can play. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that's why Chris, for example, you know, he speaks to these major corporations on his speaking engagements that he does. That's actually why he's not here today. He's in Hawaii doing a speaking engagement. And And he speaks to these CEOs and you know, heads of major corporations and talks about that mental toughness. I, I was just going to jump in and say that. Um, so we had Sergeant First Class Ilana Duffy on the podcast. And my first time meeting Ilana was when I did the Team House podcast. We did their uh, 100th episode. We were all there in studio. It was a great time. But we got into the subject of PTSD and, and veteran suicide. And I mistakenly thought that more guys today, more combat veterans of today, we're killing themselves. And it's really the Vietnam guys that we're losing the most. And I think you could possibly make a connection there that a lot of these Vietnam guys, and you guys know this better than me, of course, with kind of the age difference. It wasn't cool to go to therapy. It wasn't cool to talk about your problems. I, I read uh, Buzz Aldrin's book, who was more from that generation or even generation prior. And Buzz Aldrin was one of the first guys out there. He talks about in the book, Magnificent uh, Desolation, Magnificent Desolation, that uh, when he went out there in the public speaking circuit and he said, I'm an alcoholic, I suffer from depression, his publicist and people were saying, what are you doing? You can't be out there and publicly talk about this type of thing. And I think the shame that people have that they can't talk about this type of thing is why we're losing guys from the Vietnam generation as opposed to the Iraq war veterans, Afghanistan veterans who are okay with going on a platform like this, telling stories uh, or seeking uh, health from prof- mental health uh, help from professionals in, in those circumstances, which has really helped guys out. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. Was- to what Tom mentioned before. Oh, sorry, Tom. Uh, what Tom had mentioned before, uh, part of it's generational, of course. Uh, part of it is also what services are available then versus now. And, uh, and, and what kind of support system uh, that person has once they do uh, return from, from war. So there's a lot of variables that are involved. It's very sad and unfortunate, uh, the number of uh, men and women who are committing suicide because they don't have that support system. And um, I, I applaud anyone who is able to reach out to others and help others, but also to tell their story as well. What were you saying, Tom? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, Vietnam, uh, I was not drafted. I think they just stopped the draft. So I, my brother was drafted, but he had a college deferment. So, it, you know, it, it was kind of a, a close uh, situation. But, you know, having met a number of the veterans that worked with in various circles from Vietnam, you, you could tell for me my own personal experience. I hate to extrapolate to the world, but I would tell you most of the veterans from Vietnam that I had a personal relationship, I could tell somewhere along the line they were struggling. And I guess guess part of it was is that even when they came back after those experiences, many of them horrific, uh, they didn't have any support and they didn't have any support of the American people when they got back. And I think being part of, I think that may be a, a a reason why a lot of them are struggling 
was the fact that they didn't have the support when they came back. They were looked down upon. And, you know, that's very unfortunate. If they were drafted, they a lot of them were. They certainly didn't volunteer for this. Yeah. You, you get thrown into a situation that A, is not good, and B, is probably very horrible. And then you didn't ask for it. Then you come back and people aren't respecting you at all. And what people see and, and felt at the time is is different. And, you know, I may have a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology, but I tell you, if I was to do it all over again, I, I would have been definitely in, into uh, psychiatry or, or or psychology because everything is is emotion and the way we interpret the world and the way we react to the world. And everybody's wired differently. So you can put two different people in the same really bad experience. One has one uh, consequence. Another has a totally different impact on their lives because we're just all wired differently. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for the Vietnam veterans, they, they had nothing when they came back from respect with respect to support. So when we're talking about, um, you were just talking about your background in science and, and we, we got into that a little earlier and it sounded like you wanted to get into this topic Pr- pretty early on, Tom, I would say you were like one of the few guys or I, one of the few guys in, I guess, media, I would say with your background, who was kind of pushing against what was being done in in uh, respect to COVID nineteen and the response? So pretty early on, I'd say you were you've been consistent on this. Um, what do you think should have been? You know, I think we could all point to what went wrong, but what, what do you think should have been done? Should anything have been done at all? Would we have been better off with no restrictions at all? I'm, I'm wondering your perspective, being you are an expert in, in this field. Yeah, early, early on, I was I was really concerned about the the lockdowns. I mean, initially, if you're not sure about the virus, you might want to keep people away from each other for a little while, but not with this virus necessarily. Because the the frustrating part, again, again, going back to the core point of have, have today is learning from history. We knew very early on, very early on, it's so frustrating that when you looked at what was going on in Italy because they had one of the first outbreaks, it was clear it was the elderly who were the ones who were most vulnerable. And that data was out there. So when you know that, you say, all right, it, thank God, it wasn't and was never children. So right off the bat, you're dealing with a virus that is essentially focusing in on the elderly people. And you know, look, our United States, we do a great job of taking care of the elderly. But sometimes if you walk into a nursing home, you know, there are a lot of people who are just you know, hanging there by a thread because of the amount of resources we put into them. So when you have a highly infectious virus come into an environment like that, they're the ones who are going to be most vulnerable. So the, the thing that should have been done, and I think DeSantis, Governor DeSantis of Florida was all over this, is protect the older people first and the people in elderly care facilities, because that was the area of the population that was most vulnerable. And then you had former Governor Cuomo of New York who did the direct opposite, where he actually took people out of hospitals who had just recently recovered or were COVID positive and then put them into nursing homes and elderly care facilities. I mean, my God, that's that's a form of biological warfare. And to me, that was just... It just it just wasn't logical, and that again is very frustrating. 
uh, with respect to the way government, you know, dealt with it. And it's, it's almost a study in itself. What happened in Florida versus what <laughs> happened in, in New York. And it's, it's what happens when you have the wrong advisors and people just aren't thinking. The first thing should have been, what, what could we learn from Italy? And then I don't remember the details, but early on, there was a cruise liner that had an yeah. outbreak. And you had the whole population there. You had elderly, you had middle-aged people, you had young people. So that would, that's, that would be an experiment in itself. You, you look at that data, you tease apart that data, and then you try to figure out what to do with the broader population. But you know, again, you know, not to be political, but you know, Democrats tend to be one size fits all. So if there's a virus, everybody has to be away from it. I think the other thing that happened is uh, they dropped the ball with communication of the whole thing as well, because there were mixed messages about the uh, vaccines, the masks, don't mask, travel. I mean, there were just all kinds of mixed messages. And if, and uh, early on, when you had uh, Biden, the candidate, and Kamala Harris, the candidate, they said that they were not going to take the vaccine or that they did not yeah. trust the vaccine or Trump only because it was under Trump's watch. And then, you know, fast forward, they're on camera uh, with big uh, media outlets sitting there watching him, especially Biden, get the, the vaccine and boosters and whatnot. So in, in a, a, lot, uh, of, in a, a lot of mixed that was messages. made to look like the uh, Oval Office, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> what was that, that about? That was, that was odd, right? Yeah. Very mm-hmm. odd. The, the other thing they did wrong, they did a horrible job in communication. They, they treated everybody like a child. And again, it was command and control. Early on, they could have said, well, we don't know a lot about this virus, but here's a range of things that can happen. Hopefully, the vaccine will take care of it. However, this virus turns out to be an RNA-type virus. It's genetic material. So is the flu virus. Every year, we get a different flu shot. Why? Because the flu virus mutates, it changes. Last year's vaccine isn't going to work against this year's flu virus. So they could have explained the range of possibilities. Well, if it looks like this virus is going to act like a flu virus and constantly mutate, these vaccines, the initial ones will work, but over time they may not work. Instead, the government came out and gave you the guarantee. If you get the vaccine, you're going to be safe and you're not going to be able to spread it. And they didn't give the range of uncertainty because they wanted to treat everybody as the same. And, and that, that's what happened. It was, look, when you're dealing with biology, when you're dealing with the viruses, this isn't physics. This is not, you know, gravity or the speed of light. By definition, Things change. You'll never see a real scientist absolutely say anything, at least on the biological side. In fact, even today, my communications, I always qualify almost everything I say because that's the way I was, the way I think, because you just never know. But when I see scientists, either from the government, Fauci, whoever throw your name out there, giving guarantees, I'm like shaking my head. I said, no, man, this is biology. We do not know. And early on, we knew this virus would be endemic because it affects animals. So it ain't going to go anywhere. We can clean out an entire population. You get a mutation in, a, in an animal, whether it be a mink, a deer, or whatever, and it could come out of there. And for the so audience, the, and, I, and I remember I was looking this up, what does endemic mean again exactly? Endemic means it's 
going to be present. It's always going to be with us, kind of like the cold virus. You're not going to be able to eliminate it through a vaccine. There's been actually, I forget which ones, but there've been very, very few, if you know, one or two viruses have been totally eliminated with a vaccine because each thing is different. You can't extrapolate one to the other. I mean, for this audience, it's like saying, you know, one weapon is the perfect weapon. No, this weapon works in this situation. This weapon works in this situation. You would never use it in this situation. But the, you know, with respect to the viruses and things, they treated everything as the same. And it's not. And they should know better. Yeah. So I want to make sure we get into the podcast itself. I, I got a call earlier this year from Tom, who I hadn't spoken to in a while. And you guys have been doing these great videos on Clout Hub. Actually, more so Deneen, and Tom's gotten more involved lately, but interviewing congressional candidates, interviewing different people who are running for local offices, and interviewing different people that you've uh, just interacted with in these past several decades, probably Probably uh, how long, 15 or 20 years of you guys kind of doing this type of work? Yeah, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Longer. Since we left interviewing America, that, like 2004 or five, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so just interviewing these guys that we've seen you with on Newsmax, on Fox News, respectively, and uh, and doing a great job. So yeah, Tom uh, got in touch with me and said, we'd like to bring some of this audio we have on CloudHub that we have video of and bring it to podcast. And of course, that's kind of what I do with, uh, we don't have video on this episode, but these shows like In the Wild, we have behind me, um, as well as, of course, this podcast I created with Chris. So yeah, what's what's kind of the goal of what you're trying to accomplish with Reigniting Liberty? And we definitely want this audience to check it out. And, and if they're looking for something in that realm, you guys are going to love it. Well, yeah, we appreciate your help with all of this, Ian. Thanks very much. Uh, the oh, goal is to get the truth out in black and white. And it's a, that's our, one of our taglines that we use when we are having our discussions, whether it's one-on-one or interviewing someone, uh, because we, we're not into clickbait. Uh, we're not into just trying to get people to listen or watch or respond because it's something that was uh, off the charts uh, to just get someone's attention, we bring people on to have a in-depth discussion because uh, you know when you have a radio or TV interview, it's a limited time. It's you know, right. we're from three to four, five minutes maybe. In this case, we try to reach out to folks who are experts maybe in certain areas, and they can really we can have an in-depth discussion with them, do a deep dive on a certain topic or issue, and they are able to expand and broaden what they want to talk about, what they want to deliver. And it's a teaching moment for us because we learn a lot. And it's certainly a great teaching moment for those who are watching and listening because they're able to either watch the video or listen to the podcast at their convenience and learn about whatever the topic is that's in the news. So uh, it's a really... Uh, great opportunity for Tom and I to work together. And the response has been really positive. Yeah. The, the other aspect that I think we, which we're really trying to leverage, leverage is always a great word, our uniqueness. I mean, there are a lot of people on TV uh, who are, you know, attractive and read books, but a lot of people just don't have the experience. I mean, between Deneen and I, we have almost 50 years in corporate experience. So when a topic like Walt Disney comes out, I know what I can speculate what was going on on the inside of the company because I had been inside a big company and controversial issues. 
I've met with CEOs. I know that world. Uh, obviously, I've been a scientist. So I've been, I know that world. I actually served in Washington, D.C. one year as a congressional staffer. So we, Who were we you a congressional staffer for? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was part of a fellowship. Uh, I, was, I worked for a year, actually, for the Democrats. Uh, and it was, it was an enlightening experience. In fact, that, if you ask me what changed my life and my career focus, it was that because I, I never cared about politics. I was a scientist. I couldn't care how many elected officials they were. I just had no interest. And then I was thrown into <laughs> the halls of Congress where I was a staffer and I was briefing uh, representatives and watching the setting up hearings. And that's when I just said to myself, I said, oh, this is a really big lab. And what happens here is really <laughs> important, much bigger than what any individual can do, you know, with, within a laboratory setting. So again, you know, Dean, Deneen, you know, being a black female conservative, she brings a very unique perspective. Deneen, also corporate America, trained as a model, uh, now on TV, got into politics. It's a range of experience that I think we're trying to leverage to educate people because I've never been a real preacher. That's not my style. I don't like to, you know, get on and, and preach. This is the way the world is. I rather lay out the information and maybe steer people. This is where I think it's heading, but I don't want to tell people this is the way it is. It's up to people to use their own intellect with the data to come up with their own conclusions. So with our podcast, we're trying to get a lot of data out. It's interesting you bring up the corporate stuff and what's going on with Walt Disney because everything has changed so quickly, especially in the past two years. I mean, I'm obviously not that old. I'm 35 years old, but like I'm old enough to remember when corporations in general, the rule was kind of like, don't get into politics. You don't want to alienate your audience. People going to Disney, people buying Nike shoes, whatever. They come from all different political backgrounds, all different ideologies, and you don't you don't want to lose their business. And especially in the past two years, that has all been turned on its head. You know, the left is uh, brilliant to be political. Sorry. Um, it's OK. I mean, this is a political <laughs> issue I mean, because I don't think and, and to jump in here, I, mean, I don't think that you want corporations to be out there favoring like your values. You would prefer corporations to go back to, I would assume, how it was where we didn't really hear them voice their opinions on politics on anything. No, you're right. Going back, because I, you know, my corporate America, the whole idea for I first started to work for General Foods, which was then bought out by Philip Morris, and then bought out by Kraft Foods. But the whole idea is you don't want to mix your Maxwell House coffee with any kind of controversial issue. But the only thing I didn't mention about the need in my our experience is we recognized corporate America moving to the left in the early 2000s, and initially I co-founded a a shareholder activist mutual fund where we used to go to shareholder meetings yes. to, to challenge CEOs. And Deneen was right there with me and she was the secret weapon because being black, they always thought she was liberal. <laughs> and then she would ask a question. They would be totally off guard. But uh, no, it started way back then and, and you know, bring some perspective into this podcast where it's normal focus is back, I guess it would be 2006 or seven or five, somewhere on the line, Walt Disney Corporation owns ABC News. 
ABC News had a docudrama called The Path to 9-11. It was based on the 9-11 Commission report of the origins of the attack of 9-11. So they did this docudrama, but the Clintons found out that they were mentioned in it and they tried to shut it down and they were largely successful. And the key reason they were concerned was, was that former President Bill Clinton had the opportunity to take out Osama bin Laden and he did not. And that was in this path to 9-11. So they edited that scene out where they call off the strike against bin Laden. They took that out of the docudrama. They only showed it once on ABC News. It won an Emmy, was nominated for others. And to this day, you cannot buy it because Walt Disney buried it. And I was at a shareholder meeting and Denise, my witness, where I had a, a proposal saying, you know, it's against shareholders' interest for you to bury something that I think it cost them like $30, $40 million to make, and you're not getting a return on it. And after I made this presentation, I turned and I tried to shake the former CEO, Bob Iger's hand, and he told me to go F myself to my face. Wow. Yes, so, he did. Uh, yes, he did. And he's in the audience saying, oh my God, what's happening next? So I turned around to the podium and I just blurted out, he just told me to F myself and I used the words. And you hear this audible in the crowd go, oh. <laughs> and it was a national news story at the time. Unfortunately, there was no social media then. So there were a number of news stories about it. But here was a very early example of a corporation using its own resources to, I would say, manipulate public opinion and for ABC News to silence themselves on a docudrama that I think would be important for people to know. But again, we've, we've got involved, and Deneen can give one or two stories of some of the shareholder stuff she was at with, uh, I guess, J.P. Morgan Chase and Reverend Jackson. Oh, yeah. I mean, we went to a lot of shareholder meetings, a uh, very interesting experience. Uh, one of them was the J.P. Morgan shareholder meeting. It was held in downtown New York City. And one of the things Jesse Jackson does at the time, I don't know what the deal is now because, you know, he's up in age, but he was sh basically shakedown corporations uh, and they would donate tons of money to his nonprofit and uh, with this particular meeting, I saw him there. And when you have a uh, proposal, you're able to, if you're a shareholder, you can get up and ask a question. And I asked the question, Jesse Jackson was in the room and I asked Jamie Dimon, when will you push back and no longer, and I'm paraphrasing, no longer support people like Jesse Jackson because of the the propaganda and the rhetoric that he spews in terms of racism. And I, I don't recall the exact words, but that's that's pretty much it. And I had people come up to me after the meeting, shake my hand. They thanked me for being vocal, for speaking up. And he made sure he stayed far away from me after the meeting. He didn't want us to be seen in a picture together. He didn't want to shake my hand, nothing. But before the meeting, he was right there, like in, in my realm, because he's probably trying to figure out who I was. 
But, you know, just to add one finer point on all of this, I mean, why has this happened? Well, it's, it's really a consequence of the educational system. The business school today it, they are very, very politically liberal, and they view the corporation as a as uh, more than to deliver profit, jobs, and services. They want corporations to get involved in societal issues. You know, there's something called ESG. It's a big movement in in, in corporate uh, realm where they want companies to do things for the environment, to do things for, for social issues. And they want to do things have have good corporate governance, ESG. But it, it's just the way is happening is just like uh, the educational system has been taken over by the political left. They want to take over the corporation because the corporation is a huge source of money and influence. And if they can capture the corporation, you can drive an agenda, political agenda. And now we're seeing the consequence of that with Disney. So there's a lot of like-minded people. We covered this in one of our uh, podcasts on Disney. We did too. There's yeah. a lot of people in Disney that feel this way, at least in the corporation, that they should be uh, getting involved in uh, gender identif- identification teaching, you know, as young as kindergarten. And this is part of their what they believe their companies, not just to entertain, it's to have a social impact. Yeah. Well, one thing I was going to say about you guys that I really have to give you credit for is that you've both been involved in politics for so long. And I feel like anybody who gets involved in the political realm and political media, it kind of drives them nuts. And you guys have done a good job of like keeping balance and you're passionate about what you do, but I rarely see either of you angry about things. And I mean, if you, and I know you've listened to the podcast, I mean, Chris has talked about when he was out doing media, it was like the worst part of his life. He he hated doing it. It made him an angry person, he feels. And that's why he stepped away from it. And that's why when we created this podcast, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm up for doing it. I just, I don't want it to be like overly political. And I was in the same realm as he, him because he was like, it just, it didn't, it, it didn't add much to my life. It, it didn't make me the best version of myself. And I want to inspire people. I want to put out something that's positive. And I was right there with him. You guys, I think, are two of the few people I know who are this involved in politics that stay on top of the news, as you said, Tom, because you have to. Yet at the same time, I I think you guys do a good job of like keeping a you know productive and and positive life uh, outside of all this. Oh well, thank you for that. That's very very good feedback. Uh, it's we true, appreciate though. It's that. true. No, we we, we, we see so many that. people become just angry people because of this, and I understand why. I understand there's a lot to be upset about, but um drive some people over the edge. And we totally get it. And uh, look, we just try to get the information out there to educate and help others, to encourage others to get involved and play a role. That's part of the line that I uh, use in during our interviews. And we are seeing more and more people actually get involved. And I, I totally get the point of you know, not wanting to know what's going on in the news, especially on a regular basis, because it, it is frustrating and upsetting. But we have noticed people uh, become more vocal now, especially locally, because of the the government mandates, what they're teaching in schools. Uh, We've seen people where we are in Greenwich. I mean, this is 
the best example I can give you is that earlier this year in January, 20 degree weather, Tom and I went to a rally at town hall on a Saturday and I spoke and it was about the uh, mask mandates on children. And we had people out there of all ages, children, parents, grandparents, because they have had enough. And Tom's best line was they could have been at the country club that day or you know, making lunch plans with their friends, but they were out there because their voice is important and they want to be heard. Yeah, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you guys about was I've definitely felt it with this podcast. I know you guys have certainly felt it. Um, it uh, earlier on, right, two years ago, I started seeing the shadow banning thing and people being silenced more in the political realm. And it actually didn't hit us that much because the show is so apolitical of people listen. For the most part, this episode is probably the most political we've gotten <laughs> because of you guys. But um, for the most part, we don't really get into that realm. So it didn't affect us that much. Um, but I've noticed, especially this year in particular, not just people in politics, I feel like everyone, their their reach is is lowering. It doesn't even matter where they stand in the political realm, because I have friends of all backgrounds and our reach is dwindling. It's just if you're not paying money for advertising on Instagram, if you're not giving money to Facebook, they're finding different ways to silence everybody. So I'm just wondering, because this is totally in your realm, if Elon Musk really starts to do some of the things he's saying. Do you think that could be a game changer where we go back to people having organic reach? Because I can tell you right now, you guys launching the podcast right now, it is a tough time to launch a podcast because of reach being limited. And I realize if I launched Battleline right now, we would not have nearly the reach as we did when we launched in November of 2019, where you could organically get everything out there. And we had like an early, a, a nice boost really early on because of that, because the reach was organic and it wasn't being limited. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, you have folks out there who want to stifle your voice if you if you don't agree with them. And that is something that we are up, up against when it comes to these social media platforms. So I think Elon Musk would definitely be a game changer if he were to somehow purchase Twitter. And a lot of people are looking up to him to be that game changer because he has been critical of Twitter for quite some time because of the way they suppress free speech. Yeah, we, we've actually, we've personally been impacted uh, by uh, the Facebook and, and social media companies. In fact, you know, Deneen was fired from Blaze TV because she was doing these uh, videos for them and she was getting phenomenal feedback on Facebook. Sometimes they reach like a million views, 1.5 million views, and then Facebook changed their algorithm and she went down into the tens of thousands. So they lost advertising and they let Deneen go. So, and that took out about 75% of our income, right, Deneen? That's right. <laughs> and it, even before that, I mean, you could look at Deneen's Facebook fan page. Her numbers have been frozen. And it was 158,000 people follow you. I forget. Friends, whatever. Uh, my Twitter, every time I get to uh, 31,000, it drops back to 30,800. I mean, it, it is consistent. And way back, we have, you know, a little website we work on, you know, DeneenBorelli.com. We used to be able to generate actually some income from that. Now, nothing. Yeah. We used to have thousands and thousands of hits. Now, I think if we have a couple hundred a day, it's great. 
So it has, obviously, we're not the only people who have been impacted, but it has gotten, uh, it's bad and it has gotten worse as time has gone on. I think that's what you're probably experiencing. And again, it's all about control. Somebody's there uh, playing around with the algorithms and it doesn't even have to be Zuckerberg doing it. It could be somebody within the organization that doesn't like somebody and they just change the algorithm and nobody will ever know that it was yeah, ever changed. Even Jack Dorsey has now been pretty vocal about this, which I don't think people would have thought. I, I just saw just yesterday before we recorded this, he was in a little bit of a scuffle with Brian Stelter from CNN, who was criticizing something Tucker said. And he was like, are you helping? And and I, I think Jack Dorsey said something to the effect of like, are, are you guys helping anyone? He's like, I saw on the ground that you guys incited more violence in Ferguson with what CNN was doing there. So it's interesting to see even someone like Jack Dorsey, who I think two years ago people would describe as being left wing, getting out there, being vocal and, and you know, critical of this not being a free speech platform. And possibly that's why he's no longer there. And he's kind of changing things from the outside and seems to be siding more with someone like Elon Musk, who who doesn't certainly doesn't want to make it into a right wing platform. He just wants people to be able to have organic reach and and I think he's made it pretty clear, unless you're inciting violence, unless you're saying something that's harm, that's going to cause harm to someone. Uh, Twitter was pretty much sold to us as a free speech platform before it became a monopoly. And at this point, you really can't compete. We've seen what's happened to Parler and all these things. So they they are the monopoly on that type of a platform. And you have to use it to reach the masses. But the, the, the game and, and the rules have all changed especially once again, within these past two years. Yeah. You know, just follow up on that point. Musk is going to be a disruptor. And once you have someone who's disrupting and a leader, you have people like Dorsey, who's always felt that way perhaps, but now feels a little bit freer to talk about it. And then there'll be more people, but you need someone uh, who has the, the vision, the leadership skills, and in Musk's case, the money. Yeah. <laughs> To, to, you know, to shake things up. And then, again, there's a silent majority out there who feel so frustrated, but they have no vehicle uh, to express that. But somebody like Musk can be the ultimate disruptor and open up the field so everybody else can then engage in the freedom of, in the freedom of thought and expression. I totally agree. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, we will. I, I definitely think things need to be changed. I think people are aware of uh, what's being done in these platforms, and, and I think most people are against it. Um, with that, of course, I do want everybody to check out Tom Deneen's podcast, which is Reigniting Liberty. Uh, I, I'm a part of producing this whole podcast, so we have it up on all podcast platforms, all the same places that you'll find uh, battle line podcast except for youtube because there's no video but you could get the video on um on, on, on uh, cloud hub yeah on cloud, cloud hub. on cloud yeah. hub yeah you could find that and uh you could follow Denine and tom respectively at Denine borelli at tom borelli on twitter and once again as you mentioned the website is Denine borelli the podcast reigniting liberty it's available everywhere and uh yeah we're trying to get this thing uh, uh ranking in the news and politics uh uh, category on Apple Podcasts. So uh, if you guys check it out and you subscribe, hopefully we could get uh, ranked on there and be visible to more people because I could tell you that really has helped us with Battle Line. No matter how much our uh, voice has been silenced on some of these other platforms, 
when people go right on that podcast app on their on their iPhone and they click on that government category, they've seen us ranked as high as number two on there and new people discover us. So it's, it's important. I, I feel like Apple's been a lot better with that type of thing. Good to know. And that's why we have you helping us. <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, if you look at what's ranking high in news, I got to be honest. Uh, I don't think they play politics for the most part. I think it's for the most part. There could be a little bit of things here and there based off who's getting the most listens. Because if you click on that politics uh, category, you know, at the top, you see guys like Dan Bongino and Ben Shapiro and, uh, you know, a friend of ours, Buck Sexton and all those guys up there. So uh, it's not like, you know, it's it's all left-wing shows up there on the news category. It's certainly not. So I think if we can get the plays up there, we could then rank up there. And then people who listen to guys like Dan Bongino will discover what, what both of you do. Well, sounds like a plan. And again, thank you for your help because we really do appreciate it. Yeah, no, and I appreciate your friendship all these years. Like I said, for the audience, Tom and Nene and myself, we've pro- well, you guys have known each other far longer, but I've known both of you probably at this point a good decade. It's been a long time. I would think so, something like that. Yeah, and you still yep. talk to us. That's right. Yes. <laughs> you picked up the phone when we needed a, a uh, engineer and help. Well, you called me to be fair, but I'll always answer a call from Tom. And and it was actually a big help because right now I'm not, you know, as you guys know, I'm not working for a major corporation. I'm just doing voice acting and I'm doing podcasts like these and kind of making it all work, combining them all together. And I definitely prefer that as to working for a major corporation where, you know, you could kind of make your own schedule and, and do what you want and work with people that you like. Um, and with that, for the audience, as always, please support our sponsors. Pick up a shirt. We have a link to the shirt right there in the description, the Battle Line Podcast shirt, which Chris and I wear all the time. And uh, and leave us, as I said, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Spotify is now doing reviews, too. So I get a lot of, uh, a lot of questions about if I'm not on Apple, where could I leave a review? You can now leave one on Spotify. Um, so with that, any any last things that you want to get, get out there before we uh, wrap this up, guys? No, just thank you for all you do. And uh, we appreciate your show and you getting the word out to folks. It's, I think it's great. Thank you to you and Chris. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity today to reach a different audience. And uh, we really appreciate it and all your hard work. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and I think there's a crossover. I think there's a lot of people who watched, let's say, War Heroes with Chris Peranto on Newsmax and they see, you know, you see they see you on Newsmax. I mean, that's like the last big major media platform Chris has done was that special on Newsmax. If you talk to him, though, he's he's done with going on all major news platforms. And it's a, it's 100 percent by choice. He gets reached out to all the time by them. And he's just like, nope just doing smaller media, just doing podcasts. And I get it. It's the same thing you were talking about, how we can have these in-depth discussions and you don't get um, limited to going on for two minutes. And in some cases, in cases with him being misinterpreted sometimes. Right. Well, thanks again, guys. And, and we'll talk soon. And I actually have to put up some stuff for reigniting Liberty today. So, uh, <laughs> yes. So, so make sure you check out reigniting Liberty guys. Great. Thanks so much, Ian. Thanks, Ian. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www. 
chrisantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.